We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk about adjustments. Uh, and we're going to start actually f- with the adjustments that worked from game one to game two for the Lakers that will serve as a foundation for what we'll be building off of going forward in the series. And Darius, we often think of adjustments through the lens of a coach, the five on five X's and O's adjustments. But I would argue that perhaps even more important are individual player adjustments, how they change their attack based on how defenses are guarding them. And Anthony Davis, the best version of Anthony Davis on offense is the one that gets to the line 20 times. And doing my rewatch and watching the tape, for as much as we've talked about the importance of his mid-range jumper and how he was such a devastating shooter in the bubble, which he was, and all of that is true, I would argue that the best version of Anthony Davis is the one that's driving into contact and making these contorting floaters over the top of guys, uh, but with his momentum going toward the basket. And then we talked so much about his lack of assertiveness and aggression. Yeah. And that that's a lot of fadeaway jumpers from similar attack points. So talk to me about the difference in approach from Anthony Davis and kind of how his combination of size and skill allows him to be, become that 20 free throw in a game guy, which is really a sign of unguardability. Yeah, also too. So mention this on, on the last pod some, 
some of those free throws that he got weren't a lot of them actually weren't even on shot attempts right so i'll get your to your point about adjustments in in a second but aggressiveness translates all over the floor yes and that sort of hunting out of contact or I don't want to say shying away from from it because I think a lot of players can shy away from contact at times, even a player like LeBron, right? When it's in his best interest to sort of say, I'm going over here rather than I'm going to have you fall on top of me again, right? Like players make those those calculations play after play after play. And so, but the version of AD that is going up for contested rebounds or just sticking his nose in there a little bit more, that guy is going to draw fouls because he's more athletic and he's more athletic while being bigger and quicker than a lot of his counterparts, right? But in terms of his offensive stuff, the when AD is at his best, he's making quick decisions. And for as much of a devastating shooter that that he is, I'll compare him to Steph Curry a little bit, right? Steph is a, is such an amazing finisher at the basket and in floater range. But what sets that up is his shooting ability, right? And so he has all of this craft off off of the dribble and the ability to sort of zig and zag, stop and start, and really get his defender off off balance because he is a threat to shoot from any angle and he gets you up on your toes and then he's driving by you. AD, he needs his off the dribble game to set up his outside shot. He's sort of the opposite. 100%. And the more assertive he is in terms of getting downhill in whatever sort of action the Lakers are running, the better results he's going to have as, as a player. So, Look at his pick and roll activity. Is he taking two sort of shallow steps to sort of walk into a jumper? Or is he taking a big stride and then another chop step to sort of get into the pocket in order to explode forward and take a little floater or dip that shoulder in order to pivot and get up a little hook or go up over the top of you to finish, right? Those are things that he did more of in game two that were almost entirely absent in game one, Mm -hmm. right? And there is a bunch of stuff that he does out of his triple threat attack, right? So AD is a big turn, turn and face post-up player, um, even though he can work with, with his back to the basket. When he turns and faces, he has a great rip through, but he doesn't rip through low like LeBron and like how Kobe used to rip through. He rips through high. Because he's a bigger player. At his height, it makes sense to rip over as opposed to rip through low. Although he will do that against if he's matched up against those bigger slow centers, that's when he'll use a low rip through. Yes, but even then, he's often more comfortable putting the ball on the ground first, right? To sort of dance with you a little bit more. But when he rips through high from the left block to his right hand to get middle, he will get to spots on the floor where he's just able to shoot over the top of pretty much anybody in the league, right? Aiden is one of the biggest and most physical defenders that has comparable athleticism to to AD that he's faced in the playoffs while with the Lakers, right? Like the closest guy to him would probably be like Hassan Whiteside. Right. Because he is so much bigger than Bam. Bam's a much better athlete. And but he's not AD's height and size. Right. And, and weight. It's that's a weight thing right there in, in large part. 
And so the things I saw from AD last last game was just like, look, I'm going to get downhill a little bit more and I'm going to try to get two foot paint touches, whether it's not necessarily establishing the paint off of the post up, but I'm getting to the paint and you're going to have to foul me or I'm going to shoot over the top of you. And I thought his aggressiveness more so than his success at like finishing those plays is what stood out to me most because Pete and Mike, if he would have finished some of the shots that he would normally make, he would have had like a 45 point night or a 48 point night, right? Because he was, he was getting to spots on the floor where I thought he could have actually played even better than what he did. But the, the baseline for his success was just that extra effort and motivation to get to the spots on the floor where he's more of a threat. It started right away. And at first it was Jay Crowder that he, that he went at. Then they switched Aiden over to him. And on consecutive possessions, he took Aiden to the rim, essentially, or at least in the middle of the paint. And the first one, Aiden actually kind of held him up. Okay, AD missed the shot. The second one, he got called for a foul. And that was just, to me, that was almost the whole game. Right there, it was like, okay, AD's locked in. He's going to attack. He's going to the bucket. Um, he's going to make these guys either follow him or he's going to get easy looks. Uh, and as Darius described, sometimes it's as simple as the, the the little drag through up high to the middle of the paint, and he can drop it in. He can fade away. He can do whatever at that point. And if you're not with him, he can then extend and go all the way to the glass or all the way to the rim. So it's a it's a nice little package that he's got that nobody's had a great answer for. And his biggest impediment to playing like that has just been his own occasional lack of assertiveness, which was not, which really was was pretty consistent last season, especially in the bubble. And this year it was pretty consistent once he got locked in coming back off of injury before LeBron returned. Then LeBron returned. It was a little bit uneven. And now what this hopefully marks for him and for the Lakers is a, a reestablishment of that consistent aggressiveness that's going to take the Lakers a long way. And the reason it's going to take the Lakers a long way is because it establishes a chain reaction. The version of AD that's facing up and jab step, jab step, and not with a lot of zeal and just raising up for the jumper does not draw a second defender. Anthony Davis is a guy who can collapse a defense with his individual talents. And our offense is built around clearing out a side of a floor for a superstar or running two man game for your two superstars. And, when he's attacking the basket and hitting those floaters and and ripping through and just getting downhill in general, that compromises the defense in a way that opens up a lot of other things. And we haven't even seen our, our shooting. That's going to be the last part of that that really locks in is when that defense collapses, that leaves guys open on the perimeter. So really strong foundation to build off of for the offense going forward. The play that I thought signified this sort of approach that he took Last game, the Lakers, I think it was the third quarter and they opened up Crowder was defending AD and Bridges was on LeBron and the Lakers went to empty side side screen and roll with LeBron and AD for two straight possessions. Right. And so they went screen and roll and Phoenix switched. And that's typically what teams with sort of good-sized defenders will do against LeBron and AD pick and rolls. The Clippers did this a ton last season. They were comfortable switching Kawhi onto AD, for example, and putting, like, Morris on to LeBron. But what AD did was 
against Bridges, he went back down, back down, back down. And then Crowder's just like, it's that assertiveness, right? That sort of just like, this dude's getting closer. I need to go and help. And Crowder had, what, two fouls in the first minute? Yes. All of that ties in together. And so Bridges ended up having to spend a lot of minutes on, on him, and he doesn't have the strength that Crowder has to hold him up. So it has this impact in multiple ways on the game. So it speaks to that point about you saying he drew two defenders, right? And so Crowder drops down, kick out to Braun, three-pointer. Three to start, that's first possession of the half. The Lakers said, oh, oh, well, that worked well, right? You're going to switch that? We're going to go to it again, and let's see if you play mm -hmm. it the same way. They did play it the same way. They switched again. But Bridges is just like, nah, man, I got to try to deny this dude the ball. So he three-quarter fronted, right? And let's make the passing angle harder. Let's see if I could deny him position. Let's see if AD just sort of dies on this with a lack of effort. But AD didn't. Got strong, got that left arm up into Bridges' chest, gave the angle to, to LeBron, and now... Bridges is sealed on AD's top, top hip. Drop step baseline, drove hard and got downhill right away. Didn't settle for that little jumper that he could, could have taken. Took it right to Aiton's chest, finish over the top and won, right? And so 6-0 run right out of the gate. And it was all predicated on AD sort of saying, yeah, I'm, and that's, an that's a schematic adjustment linked with a personal individual mm -hmm. adjustment right because in game one ad might catch against bridges and say okay i'm gonna turn and face i'm gonna dance with mm -hmm. you a little bit maybe i'll try to get you off of the drib dribble some but not this time this but, time he not, said that's not, right that's not his advantage against a guy like bridges and so this time he said no i'm i am taking you to the paint and i'm gonna establish position and i'm gonna make you defend me and this is where AD or this is where Lakers and five came into play for me before the series. It's, I just I can't <laughs> uh -huh. conceive of an answer that they have for Anthony Davis. And of course, it's in the con if they didn't if the Lakers didn't have LeBron James, then they could do enough probably, and it would be a different type of series, and we would all have different picks. And LeBron, this is when you think about adjustments from game two to game three. I like AD aside, like I don't know the adjustment that Phoenix can really make for AD and him not having a counter. What what I wonder is what the Lakers try to do to take advantage of the Chris Paul situation uh, and kind of bring campaign into that. If they know he's going to be more of a feature of this game plan, what do they do a little better on him? And by the way, there was a little micro set there when Caruso didn't get up close to him enough and he was going back and forth mm -hmm. with a couple of the guys. Like, that's one thing right there. Like, if, if Payne's going to pull that three from there, you know, make him into a driver. But it's a, it's like, how can, can Phoenix do something if they don't think LeBron is going to touch the paint um, as he really didn't in the second half? So those are, and not to bring us off of the AD point, but I just, I really don't have a great answer for what else to do with Anthony Davis if I'm Phoenix. Pete, do you think Phoenix starts to double AD a little bit more? Do, do you think they start to actively say, we're going to make you beat us with passing? Because in that last regular season game, AD torched them. Mm -hmm. and, 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 he, and he torched them with shot making. And in game two, AD torched them with just straight up physicality. I'm drawing fouls. I'm getting mm -hmm. to the free throw line a bunch. And I'm going to hit 18 free throws on on you guys and score 30 plus points and 
if there's a way to sort of counter that, it's like, yeah, how about you're not going to be a part of the game plan? And right. that's worked on AD in the past. And it's something that plays into a weakness of ours generally is that we don't run great post counters. Crand has been talking about this all year and he's, and he's right in that we don't, we aren't, we don't run the actions that counter that low side help. There's a certain amount of stubbornness that goes into being a good coach. And these are two very good coaches in this series. Monty Williams not sending that extra help to AD and leaving guys in those one-on-one circumstances is in part what leads to the 20 free throws. If I was in Phoenix's position, I'd absolutely start to double because Mike, you're right. Outside of that, there are you've got some big problems that you don't have the personnel to solve on an individual basis. But I do think that doubling is their best bet, especially with how, how our role players are shooting, getting the ball out of AD, AD's hands, not getting him to the line. All of that's really going to matter. With respect to campaign. And- well, let me say on AD, though. You're, so I guess, I guess what I meant was anything that they've shown so far, and they for I don't understand why they haven't been doubling him. But that seems like that's the obvious thing they should do, unless Monty Williams just does, he's determined not to do so. But yeah, I don't get why they wouldn't double. Uh, it's I think that's the, the key point you guys bring up. The other thing that we could see too more of is like, all right, Crowder, you've got Drummond, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And and Aiton, right? You've been playing well. You've given AD some problems. You can be a physical dude. Right now, can they get away with playing Aiton on AD for like 90% of the possessions, 95% of the possessions? Like, can they do that and Aiden stay out of foul trouble, like not get winded, not get lost, make the proper rotations when mm-hmm. things start to swing and go away from him? Will the Lakers counter with more pick and roll? Right. Like there's a bunch of things that then then you're into the weeds. Right. With all of the chess match stuff like, okay, well, you're going to put your biggest dude on on Anthony Davis. Well, then let's bring him out a little Mm -hmm. bit more and let's run some pick and roll and let's make you play in that medium area a little bit. But so I'm very interested to see which direction all of these guys go go in because every adjustment should trigger another counter from the opposing team. And. All of the coaches in this series are smart dudes. They are they are contingency after contingency after contingency, and they are building stuff in. But the Lakers right now, they just won a game. And so I think it is important and appropriate that we sort of frame this the way that you frame, framed it, Pete, which is we just did something that worked. Mm-hmm. Let's see if they can actually stop that again. Right. Yeah. And and we're going to try to do more of that stuff and refine it even more going into game three to make it even better and more effective. Yeah. Ultimately, I think their best route is to double rather than to switch the matchup, because while I do think Aiton is the most equipped to handle AD in a one on one matchup, what that ends up that ends up giving you problems elsewhere. Like you said, there's an adjustment to the adjustment in that if you're involving Drummond in ball screens, for one, that means that Crowder has to be the the containing big on that, which isn't a very normal position for him. He's a strong dude who is kind of a hybrid player, especially in this era, that can do that. But 
Drummond's a big guy to be contending with. He's also a big guy to be contending with on the offensive boards. He's yeah. got like 12 offensive rebounds in 41, 42 minutes in this series. His offensive rebounding rate in this series so far is 35.8%. And the, the league leader was Clint Capella at 17.5%. So he's doubling the best mark in the league on the offensive boards in, in this series. But if they pull Aiden over there, then that can probably go up, A, and then it could open up the lane for shooter on the weak side. And I would typically say LeBron. Uh, that might be why they could try it a little more if, if they if they don't know if LeBron's going to drive as much. But yeah, like that's that's mm-hmm. what you usually open exactly. up. And that's, that's what happened against Portland. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When they tried to put white side or Nurkic out there, and AD was like, exactly. okay, cool, coming out here. Right, that's the thing, too, is that Aiton looked good on Davis in the in the first game, but a lot of guys looked good guarding AD in the first game. I do think that there is, for as talented as Aiton is, I think that fully engaged AD in a one-on-one circumstance, I still think there's an advantage there. So, yeah, I'm not sure they make, I think doubling is the wiser route for them. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the defensive end of the floor, uh, especially Mark Gasol, because he helped on offense quite a bit, but Phoenix really targeted him on the defensive end, which really stood out on the rewatch. I want to get into that more uh, on the other side of the break. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply.
So one of my first questions in the rewatch was, why is DeAndre Ayton so open for so many dunks and layups around the rim? He, he's been properly credited for having a wonderful series. He has been fantastic. He has also been very much open. And that was especially true when Mark was on the floor. And the reason is the pick and roll defense. We talked about this in the last episode a bit. Is Mark's a, a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation defensively just against this team in particular phoenix poses certain problems where if you come out too high campaign chris paul devin booker all those guys went around mark at various points of last night when he showed too high if he's recovering back in in a drop they've got that mid-range pull up that happened quite a few times and he doesn't have the the agility to be able to do much about that and so that's okay, especially we need Mark to play. Mark really helped out our offense, and we saw that. So it's a matter of how do you resolve not getting eight no as open in the paint, and how do you how do you clean some of that up? What can you do to help Mark? And Darius, this is something that Vogel can be a bit stubborn on this. He doesn't really like pulling help from the weak side, right? We talked a lot about on pick and rolls that weak side wing is supposed to drop down, that low man is supposed to tag the roll man. We sort of do that, but we mostly go in those two-on-two scenarios that you talk about. I would argue that we just can't do that with Mark. And they kind of spammed that play in the second half and in large part because we we don't make that adjustment. I, I would be curious your thoughts on why you don't think Vogel goes to that and what what you think the benefit just the benefits and, and downsides of doing that. I think he doesn't go to it because Phoenix's shooters are too good. Mm. Right? Like, look, you put one non-shooter at one of the wing spots, just one. Just one. Only has to be one dude that is a league average or below. This is Westbrook. This is how teams scheme against Westbrook in series. Yeah, but Westbrook is like... He's He's an extreme example of that. He's an extreme example, but I'm just saying like, okay, well, let's say you had like... I don't even know this guy's shooting numbers, so maybe I'm going to sound dumb for saying this, but like Rui Hachimura... Right. You're a young player. Let's mm-hmm. say he was he was there instead of Miles Bridges. Right. I guarantee LeBron would be a little bit more active. That's where the help's coming from. Yeah. In terms of saying like, OK, I'm going to trust that. When you kick this out to this specific guy, he is not going to say catch and shoot. Boom. Like Bridges is out there. He's shooting it. Like Kyle Korver, I'm not saying in terms of accuracy, but ball is in his hands, ball is out of his hands. If he is open, the shot is going up quickly. Like Cam Johnson's the same way. If if that was Sarge even, right? Like if they were playing a bigger lineup, it would be the same with him. Almost every sort of wing or stretch forward, it's the same with Crowder. It's It's all of those players. And Phoenix has really good spacing principles. And so those rotations are harder. When you tag on Aiton, you're going to have to get two feet in the paint. You're going to have to be above the restricted area, and you're going to have to get there and stop him. You've got to belly up. That's the if you're coaching that. There's guys where you tag, and in terms of it's uh you put your arm in right. You any bounce pass or anything like that, or if they throw a lob, you want to be able to jump with them but you are not getting fully squared in front of him. We call it belly up, meaning that if he were to run over you, that would be a charge, right? He'd run right into your chest. 
we rarely tag from the weak side, go full belly up. And that's part of the reason why, but and that's why I would say, look, Phoenix's shooters are good, Mike. And I would argue though, that it's better, better option than letting Deandre Ayton eat as much as he has around the rim. What's the philosophy there, right? In terms of uh, that, what you give up versus what you take away. Yeah. The, so the shooting for Phoenix, especially in game two, other than the campaign, which were pretty tough threes for the most part. Like he had somebody at least within range on most of them. He pulled up deep and hit a couple. Uh, but like the ones that were inexcusable were the two Cam Johnson threes in which Mark mm-hmm. and LeBron. Now, Pete, you, so correct me if I'm wrong. You just rewatched this. But my perspective watching it live, and I've only watched the first half so far as at the time of this recording, my perspective was that Mark was just defaulting to protecting the paint. And then LeBron was inside and they kind of looked at each other and just didn't bother going out to get him. And that, that was the last one. And then the corner one, it may have been just Mark, like Mark, Mark made a decision to pinch in the middle of the paint, even though AD was there. And I think the game was borderline over if those two threes from campaign don't fall, because that, that would have been the difference between uh, what was it going into the um, to the final quarter? It was a seven point lead right after he hit the two threes. Uh, it, it, it should have been like 13, 14. And then, you know, you start the four. So like those were the those were the threes that were just breakdowns. And they didn't do that as much in the first half. Like they really got out to guys for the most part. Um, They did give up a lot of the looks for Aiden at the rim. But I felt like the three point defense overall was more typical to what the Lakers usually do. And that they're not giving up a a bunch of great looks at three. And uh, it was just those couple breakdowns that were kind of frustrating to see. No, but that's the point, right? That's what the Lakers are trying to do in the first. So in game one, Phoenix shot 28 threes in game one. In the first half of game two, they had nine attempts from outside the arc, nine. And they were two for nine, right? Now, some of those were open, but a lot of them were like, oh, we ain't seen a a three go up in a minute. And part Mm -hmm. of that is the Lakers strategy. It's why Aiton is, it's why he's eating the way that he is because the Lakers are playing screen coverages with the ball and those handoff actions as two on two plays. They are basically staying home with shooters and they're trusting their bigs to get back and recover against Aiton and the guard to provide enough back pressure where that mid range shot is harder. And I get the approach. But the bigs then are going to have to be better. And really, the only – I think Drummond can do it some. AD can do it. But they're going to have to start mixing that up, I think, a little bit more in order to – Aiden to start to have to hear a a few footsteps, right? Like they can't continue to just say, we're taking away every three and Aiden is going to go 10 for 11 every game because that's going to keep them in it too. And that's generally my argument, right, is that just turn the dial a little bit more toward taking uh, toward taking a little more of the pain away, specifically when Mark is in the game. We forced a ton of turnovers in that two on two action in the first quarter with Drummond because exactly what you said, the big in that situation has to have the agility and speed to be able to recover back. If you're in a two on two, not pulling help from the weak side, the big has to be able to cover a decent amount of distance, showing high enough on Booker and CP3 and campaign to where they don't walk into an easy 15 footer 
but not so high as he can get back to take away that pass back into the paint. We saw that a couple of times where Drummond got a couple of steals off of that type of action. And so with Mark, though, I would argue, Mike, that the strategy needs to be a little different because he's a different type of player. He has It's like asking Drummond to shoot threes. You can't be mar- mad at Mark for not being agile, but you do need I think that defensively we need to account for it a little more. And this is the point that I was trying to make about Mark when we were discussing it before. And, you know, there's I think on the one extreme, there's the how is it possible that Mark's not starting? Drummond is is bad, which is a silly argument. Then there's the other one that, well, Mark is Mark is too good at too many things to not find minutes for. Um, And I agree with that perspective. But what Mark Mark is not doing well in this series is something that he's never done well in his career and he doesn't particularly like doing. And that's getting out and in the new age game and switching around guards and being in screen roll like that's that Mark is a, a, a at his best is a very traditional uh, post defender who is who is really smart. So he can extend that out into the floor. But that's harder for him. Just look at his body. You know, so like that, that's the thing that I think that you have to account for. But he still ends up being a more of a positive than not. And the part of it that I want to kind of kick back to you guys that I think is the other defensive adjustment that the Lakers can make they are putting Phoenix the foul line way, way too often. And not, not on like on the types of plays that even fit within the scheme, just silly stuff. And like there, there was the, you know, there's the possession with uh, after the the LeBron three and then Markeith Morris makes the foul. There's the KCP transition foul. There's the two late, which I don't know if they were good calls or not where Booker kind of threw his body in and he got coups and then he got, uh, was it Kenny? Uh, no shooter. He got shooter. So, dude, Book, Booker took seventeen free throw attempts. We talk about ADs twenty one, and that's when you add the six. But even if it's just eleven, so Phoenix is not a team that gets to the line a lot. It, they're they're just not in the regular season. I think they were second to last. In fact, I'm I'm double checking right now. Yeah, second to last in the NBA, eighteen point eight attempts per game. So they're that's not part of their offense, and I don't think they can score. With nearly enough, especially with Chris Paul hobbled, to make this a real series if the Lakers take those silly fouls away, play a little bit more uh, compact and direct. And what I'm wondering is if you guys are seeing any kind of correlation in the stuff that's working, like limiting the threes and uh, and all that. Like, had they been wrapping eight and up and not giving up the, the dunks and layup, like, okay, fine. But that's, to me, the, the thing that's a little hard to square is putting them at the free throw line that much while, you know, holding them to more or less tough shots aside from what Aiden's getting. I'm so glad you brought this up because it's less complicated, per se, than pick and roll coverages and things like that. But it's probably more important. We gave up a lot of points in doing exactly that. And this plays into some of the decision making that we've been talking about all year. And the decision making isn't just with the ball, where do I pass it? It's, you know, do I step over and try to cut off the sideline on this guy 65 feet away from the basket when we're in the penalty and there's 35 seconds left in the quarter? Like, just get back on defense. Live, and part of it is unavoidable. In the same way that the Golden State Warriors, when they were the, you know, the dynastic team, they could be prone to some turnovers where you're like, God, what was that? And it was a function of having that type of ball movement. It's sometimes your weaknesses can reflect, be a reflection of your strengths in that we're a really good ball pressure team. We're really good when we're scrambling and flying all over the place. But when you're flying all over the place, you 
might run into somebody. You might be Alex Caruso sprinting toward Jay Crowder in the corner, and instead of running past him, you run right into him, and it's a four-point play and a huge momentum play. You might be KCP, and you're getting up into somebody as much as you can, and you hip-check them. And You might be getting belly up on Devin Booker if you're Dennis Schroeder trying to account for the size disadvantage and he gives a hard dribble and jumps right into your chest knowing how to draw fouls right part of it is Booker being very clever and savvy at knowing when a a guy's compromised and so yeah man those that's a great point by Mike just bringing that up in that those are probably accounting for more points than even the pick and roll coverages D. I I mean look a core principle for Vogel is He's got several core core principles defensively, right? And one of them is don't is defend without fouling, mm-hmm. right? Like if he had a whiteboard up that was just sort of like like Wooden's pyramid of like, sure. like like of success, right? Like one of those very top ones would be like, hey, let's defend without fouling. Guys. But that's hard to do when you're playing with the pressure and and the speed that they they do. Those things are kind of counter to each other. They are, they are, but some of the silly reach-ins, some of the stuff that the Lakers are doing out on the perimeter in terms of the non-attack stuff, right? So Phoenix is going to attack you in very specific ways. You have to understand what those ways are, and you have to try to play, still play physically without using your hands, right? And so one of the final and we highlighted this play on the last pod, but one of those final defensive possessions that KCP had against Booker where he got the stop and and stripped it off of his leg and then went out of bounds. There are plays where when KCP is locked in, for example, he mm-hmm. will he will take away that driving angle and then he will then slide with you and then he's got good, quick, quick hands. And so he will reach in when you show him the ball. Too often, the Lakers are reaching in where defenders are not showing you the ball. Such a good point. And it's taking gambles and getting them out of position. And Drummond does this a lot as a big player, right? Especially when he is showing out high on the pick and roll. And it's one of the reasons why he is one of the league leaders in steals as a center. It's, It's because he does gamble like that. And when you gamble, sometimes you win. And sometimes you lose. And... Through the first couple of games, the Lakers have been losing some of those battles in strategic ways. Like I, I can look, was it frustrating to see Alex like basically bull right through Crowder who's shooting a corn corner three? Yes, because if you watch how that play developed, Alex tried to draw a foul getting over the top of a screen. So he tumbled down to the ground and he is out of the play. Right. He gets up and he's like, where's my rotation? Oh, I'm going to to the paint. Oh, no. Back to the corner. He got on his high horse and he sprinted, man. He sprinted like 18 feet from one lane line all the way to the other corner. And when he got there, he's in Crowder's lap instead of flying by by him. That's that's a hustle play. You can sort of live with that yep. even if it is in a bad moment and the momentum that came with that and and everything with it. What you can't live with is 35 feet away from the basket is like, "Oh yeah, let's go for a steal." 
those are micro decisions and the Lakers need to be better at some of those. And and it speaks to Mike's point about like, yeah, let's start to curtail some of that and make these guys beat us more than us giving them something. Another adjustment that's going to happen, I would say this is more of a regression to the mean, is one of the most tried and true uh, isms of NBA basketball is role players are generally show up at home much more than they do on the road. So, Mike, we saw those two games in Phoenix with the crowd going wild. We won't quite have that same capacity at Staples, but we should see a little more from Kuz and KCP and all those other dudes. Yeah, you guys remember the last time there was an actual Lakers home playoff game? It's, it's oh, jeez. Was that the Dwight where Duncan was yes. like spotting it? It, it, it was 2013. It was 2013. So, Lord. I, we, we referenced this on the last pod and you know i had i had basically said i raised what you just said Pete. like this is what happens traditionally in nba history that role players struggle in certain high pressure situations on the road it's usually not all of the road players like that happened in game two like usually a couple of the guys and i'm talking about offensively a lot of these guys (laughs) brought brought it defensively but there there was a real hesitancy to shoot uh i do think that part of that is because it's hard for a guy like Kuzma, who's barely had any shot attempts to just come in and feel like he can have any kind of rhythm in that kind of a setting. And same thing even with a Caruso or a Matthews. But at home, we just saw a high-pressure playoff-like game against Golden State. And a lot of the role players stepped up and did well, You know, most of all Caruso. So I do expect that that returns. And then in turn, let's see if some of the Phoenix role players struggle a little bit in what's for them now a very high pressure situation. They got to win one of these two games to That's get right. home court back. Like there, so the pressure sort of shifts in a series like this. It's the opposite of what's going on with the Clippers, where the Mavs are going home to fifteen thousand fans, feeling great, you know, feeling loose, feeling like they're flying around. And the Clippers are going into that moment. And who's going to rise to the test? Like I, I think I think I know Rondo is. Who else? And and we don't we don't need to spend more time on that at the moment. So. That to me is a is as Pete just put it, a, it's going to be a regression to the mean. And take your pick out of which of those guys get settled. I think one that would be very important to would be KCP. Um, I think yes. that you know I think the Lakers will try and get him some looks early, and I think that you know LeBron certainly let his feelings known. KCP put it on IG. LeBron uh, reposted it in his story, like all that kind of stuff. So that to me is is a natural adjustment that I think just comes with the change of scenery, the change of arena that the Lakers don't have to really talk about and break down in the film room. Game three of a series is tied 1-1 is the first crucial pivot point game in any series. And the winner of this game is going to have a very good chance of winning this series, basically. Like that's just how it goes because there's only you're halfway there and there's only potentially four games left. Right. And the other team has to win three of those four games. And because it's one, one, you can already imagine that these teams are fairly, the teams are probably fairly evenly matched. Right. And so the likelihood of saying over the next four games, we're going to win three of those that starts to become a little bit daunting. And, and so the swing of role players play can potentially really give the Lakers a real leg up in the series and get finding just a few made threes, like two or three 
four or five or six would be great, right? But even just two or three from the Wes, KCP, Kuz trio, right? Like, and if those guys could combine to hit six or seven threes, the Lakers could win going away. But if they, but if they go four for even 12, right, which isn't even great, but that's four more makes than they would have had the last game. Right. And if you start to bake in the idea that LeBron is going to be at a certain level, that um, AD is going to be at a certain level. And again, too, you're going to have to bake in potentially some regression from a guy like Drummond or a guy like Dennis, right, who won't make 75 percent of his shots or grab every rebound. And Phoenix is having these same conversations about Dennis and Drummond in particular. Is how do we keep Drummond off the boards? How do we keep Dennis from getting to the basket as much as he did? So some of that may come as a function of them just turning a little more attention toward it. But that opens up other places. The Lakers stars are doing their jobs. They are creating good opportunities for the role players. The role players then need to reward them. Because that, in turn, will make the superstars' lives easier, which then, in turn, will make their lives even easier than what it already is, right? And going home should relieve a little bit of that stress and that the games are big. There's going to be pressure that comes with the game regardless, but a certain comfort level the team can have. And that usually does translate to role players. And just to point out real quick, Drummond and Schroeder on this team are not stars, uh, they are, in a sense, role players. And so they mm-hmm. the fact that they did step up yep. and it shows you something that, that tells you mm-hmm. something about that. And neither of them has had a ton of postseason experience before. I thought Schroeder was really good last year for OKC against Houston. But, you know, I, I do think that that deserves some mention. And as as we talk about yep. role players, not just sort of not just separating Drummond and Schroeder out of that mix. No, absolutely. And that's why Drummond and, and Schroeder, and I know there's been so much talk around Drummond, but. Drummond was paid $30 million to play basketball when he was released from his contract. Multiple teams looked to sign him. He's got talent. He's got a great deal of talent that's really helping out in this series. And same with Dennis, right? Dennis is trying to be a $25 million a year point guard. And he was the guy. We had a portion of the season where Dennis Schroeder was the leader of the team on the court. They're good players. And the fact that they are our third and fourth guys in a starting lineup and can step up as these guys that are role players on this team, but have been more than that on other teams that has, has really made made a big difference in this series. I think if we keep the same level of intensity and focus and attention to detail that we had in game one, some of these regressions to the mean and positive regressions with KCP, Kuz, guys like that, I think we're going to be in good shape. I think we've got a 35% plus from three night in us at some point in the near future. Hopefully it's in these two games coming up at home uh, with game three coming up on Thursday. We'll be recording right after that to give you guys a recap. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Ness for the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you
you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol. Pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.